So remember Lexi over the next couple of months as she's, as she's ministering there in Senegal. I want to thank everybody for um, the picnic last week, the 30th anniversary celebration. If you're new to Fullness, we had a little party in the park uh, to celebrate uh, 30 years of ministry here at Fullness. And uh, I was laughing with my family later and because they're like, Dad, you didn't tell us you were, were retiring. And I was like, well, I'm because they gave me a gift for to put in my retirement fund. And it's inevitable. At some point, I will. But I didn't know it was quite that soon. Um, listen, listen, I know how churches work. I've been in churches where we honored someone and gave them a plaque so we could move them out. Uh, I've been there because uh, it was time for them. Hey, come up, brother. It's time to honor them. Give them a plaque. And wave goodbye, so I know how this party works. Anyway, uh, thank you for, though, your encouragement to me and my family. It was a real blessing to my kids, especially. Um, several of them just cried through the whole service, thinking of their entire lives spent in this place and what God has done over these years and how they are who they are because of you, uh, because of your power and influence in their lives. I'm not going to intro things too long because I, I really do have a long sermon. I'm not going to say I'm hurrying because I'm not, um, but I do have a lot to say this morning. But I, I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday, Mother's Day. I know Mother's Day can be a very challenging Sunday for some people. There are those who are mothers, we're celebrating. There are those who've lost their mothers, who are mourning. There are those who haven't been able to conceive children, want children, aren't married, whatever the case may be. It's a tough day for many. And yet, can't we celebrate what God is doing and pray for past, present, future things in motherhood? When we started Fullness 30 years ago, um, Kathy made it clear to me, I mean absolutely clear, um, that she would not speak in public, um, that um, I wasn't that good at it and she was worse, was kind of her word, something along the lines like that. So she was like, I don't care, I'm just not speaking in public. Well, next Sunday, Kathy is speaking. So um, come and... And I didn't, like, drag her in. She said, I think uh, God has given me a word for Mother's Day. I got up off the floor and said, uh, okay, you're, you're, you're on. So uh, next Sunday, be here for Kathy. She refuses, by the way. She's not in here. She refuses to call it preaching. Um, she doesn't want to say, I'm preaching next Sunday. So just when you say to her, just, I hear you're speaking next Sunday, that'll make her more, more comfortable, but... If you've heard my wife, she'll be preaching next Sunday. So uh, just join us as she does. It'll be a blessing to, to, to you and me as well. Hey, look, if you're part of Fullness or have been uh, very long, you'll know this is normal. Um, that uh, things like this happen. Let me back up. Okay, here we go. Let's try it again. All right. There we go. We have three E's that we have in our church, and these, this is what they stand for. They talk about we want a people who encounter God and his people. 
uh, whenever anyone enters the, the presence of God's people in worship, that um, they've sensed the presence of God is here. They may go away saying, you know, the music was just okay. I doubt that's going to happen, Craig. They're going to say it's great. But um, the music, songs didn't appeal to me. The preacher thought he was funnier than he was. The sermon was okay. But what they can't deny is that the presence of God was here. Because we believe it's in God's presence that people's lives are changed forever. Uh, he is the one who changes. So it's our desire when someone comes in, whether they don't know Jesus or they've been in church or they're wounded or whatever may have taken place, that they encounter God in this place because God's people are here. We want to move them beyond that to where they experience by coming to know Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and because they encounter who the Holy Spirit is and the power of the Holy Spirit, they understand who they are, why they were created, why they're redeemed, what their destiny and purpose is on this earth. Then we would like to see that expand in the world around us, to expand our influence by making a difference. Everyone in this room has a sphere of influence. Um, you, you, the Bible talks about it in different ways. It, it talks about a, a, a circle of grace. It talks about a, a measure of grace. It talks about different areas that you've been given that are your grace areas, that are your sphere of influence. It's, it's, it's your family, your friends, your co-workers. Everybody in this room has a sphere of influence, and everybody's sphere of influence is different than the person next to them. I can't waltz into, I couldn't waltz onto the mercy ship and say, hey, I'm here. You know, I want to make a difference. I got no skills. I got no training to be on mercy ship. But Lexi does. It's become Lexi's sphere of influence. Every single one of you has a unique opportunity to influence the world around you for the kingdom of God wherever it might be. This could be called a harvest field, a mission field, a whatever you want. We choose here to call it your circle of influence. Kids, family, spouse, you've got one. And we want to help equip you. My job is to equip you for works of service. We're going to see that this morning. For the ministry of the gospel. Where? In your sphere of influence. Because I can't do it, but you can. And God has called you to it. You are, not, you are not a spectator on the sideline of the kingdom. You are actively involved as a kingdom citizen to make a difference. And we want to help equip you to make that difference. Jesus said this, in, and I'm from a Baptist background, uh, Craig's dad is here. He's, he's, we're, we're suffering Baptists together. Um, and we're all Baptists. By the way, this is still a Baptist church, but don't tell anyone. Um, but we love this, man. We love the Great Commission. We love the Great Commission that says, Then Jesus came, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I love the Great Commission. It is the call on our lives 
individually and corporately to be disciple makers. Uh, my uh, memorization of this passage usually began right here. Therefore, go and make disciples. When I was younger, uh, RAs, GAs, I know I'm speaking code to the non-Baptists here, but uh, we had all these activities going on that were mission-oriented. Therefore, go and make disciples. Somehow, I missed uh, all authority has been given unto me. The implication being, I'm authorizing you to go. Because authority, Jesus said, has been given unto me. I'm authorizing you. Let's look at it in Acts 1.8, just a little different. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I, I want to help equip you to become everything you can to impact your sphere of influence but I'm not going to give you techniques. I'm not going to give you a list of five ways to impact your sphere because here is my contention. I, I want to hone those skills, don't, don't get me wrong. But what's going to make a difference with you impacting your sphere of influence is when you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Then go and make a difference. Then Don't go under your own power. Don't go under your own might. I mean, there's a willingness to say yes and go. We're going to see that in a second. But without the power of the Spirit, every endeavor you do will be a merely human endeavor. Instead, God has called you to be a supernatural influence in your sphere of influence. Receive the fullness of God's power. That's what we talked about the first week there, there in this Fullness 3.0 series. We talked about how in Ephesians 1, God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, in our name, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We come by the fullness of power. We have more power than we can possibly imagine. By the way, I didn't make that up. It's in Ephesians 1, and it's in the blessing of Ephesians 3 that I speak over you every single week. We have the fullness of power. Why? To point people to the greatness and glory of Jesus. We have the fullness of power. We also saw that in Ephesians 3, we have the fullness of love. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of what? The fullness of God. You, you have the fullness of God's power indwelling you because you have God himself in you. It, it's a mystery. It's a miracle how this happens. But because of his love and mercy and grace, we have his power and we have his presence. And this passage, the next two verses are, and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen I pray that every Sunday that I speak that you'll get it I pray that I'll get it I'll receive the truth that we have and are and will see more than we can possibly imagine not because I'm so special but because his power is at work in me Immediately 
following that benediction I speak over you every week. Ephesians 4.1 says this. After, as me, amen. He said, amen. Then he says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And in all of this, in one, two, and three, you've got the fullness of God, the fullness of love, the fullness of his power. Now, here's what you do. Live a life worthy of the calling. This is not some just intellectual exercise where we say, yes, yes, yes. No, we go out and do, do. In the community around us, to, to the world around us. We're to live a life. And he's, he may not be calling you to go to the mercy ship in Senegal. He may be just um, saying, go to um, your neighbor's house. Go to work tomorrow. Do what you're supposed to do. Live a life. Just live a life worthy of the calling. So that's what I want to talk about today. This is the third time in Ephesians that the term fullness is used. It's, again, obviously where we get our name. And so I, I have some points on how do we live this life? How do we walk in this power? How do we expand, really, our influence by making a difference in the world? So the first one is pretty obvious because I already said it. It's, it's, it's a call to living. Just live your life. But don't live it in boredom. Live it by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the life of God. Whatever you've chosen to do in life, whatever position that you have in life, live it to the glory of God. We have this unique perspective. I don't know if it's unique, but we used to celebrate all the time in churches when someone got called to the ministry, like they were called to full-time ministry, which is worth celebrating because they were going to do church work. Uh, we've tried at fullness. Whenever anyone figures out what they're going to do with their lives, we're going to celebrate it. Whether it's in full-time ministry, so to speak, or they want to go to um, PT school, or they want to they um, work as a, a plumber or whatever God has called them to do, because we believe they're a full-time minister of the gospel in that place. They're no more special than a senior pastor of a church. We want to see them anointed, empowered, and filled to be God's plumber, God's PT, God's whatever in that place, right? So our job is to help equip people to, to live life, be a parent, be a mom, be a Whatever it's called, God has called you to, to, to be. He goes on and says, how do we do this? Well, one of the ways is we're completely humble. <laughs> I'm working on that one. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. One of the ways we live lives is by realizing that it's all him and not me. That brings out a certain humility in you, doesn't it? Listen, there have been times where I've preached, and I'm like, I killed it. And I was right. I absolutely killed it. It was so dead uh, when I finished that uh, nobody wanted. I thought it, and there have been other times where in weakness, I've just finished and said, that was the worst thing ever. And I've had people call me, text me, tell me, 
that was the best sermon you've ever preached. It changed my life. It is completely humbling. Why? Because it has nothing. I, I keep saying this over and over again. Kathy and I, we've talked for 30 years. She'll say, hey, how's the sermon tomorrow? I said, I think it, it looks good on paper. You know, but if the power of spirit is there, it's going to be great. If he's not, it's going to just stay right on the paper. So um, we need to understand that it's his power that's at work within us. But it's a call to living, a willingness to let him move through us. You may say to yourself, I am incompetent to do this. Hey, good news, there's a Bible verse just for you. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from where? It comes from God. If we lean into the arms of that loving Father, our competence comes from Him. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Please, and when you read ministers, please don't say pastors. Say me. As I, that's me. I'm a minister of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There is a call to living this life by his power that is at work within us. In the message, these first couple of verses, I like the way Eugene Peterson says this. He says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. It is a call to living the life purposefully that God has for each and every one of us. And then the second point is this. There is a call to us doing this together. There is a corporate call. This is, I, I say this a lot, and I hope that we all get it. It is not just me and God. Me and God. Me and God. In our American individualism, we struggle with this. We believe that's true, but it's not. It's me and you and God. There is a call, Paul says, and this, there's a call to unity. There's a call to a corporate identity. He goes on in verses 3 and following of Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, one hope when you were called. Now, two things here. It is... The unity of the Spirit, right? It is the Spirit unifying us. Hello? Stay with me. Spirit unifying us. But there's something I do to help this along. Make every effort to keep the unity. That means you can stop making the effort and the unity of the Spirit could fail. There's that implication, it seems, is in this passage. Well, if it's all, if I'm in common, no, we have to participate with the purposes and plans of God. I mean, we can't just throw our hands off and say, no, it's all, it's all God. It's none of, none of me. No, you, you have a part to play. Okay, I'm, there's a lot of ones here, too. Um, the, the one body, one spirit, just as you were called, a one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Hey, do you get the idea that there is one, one, not many, who is over all and through all and in all? 
Listen, there's a lot that can be made about unity. Um, I, I, I like sports, and I, I watch uh, different sporting events, and was watching one a couple of weeks ago with this team, and big things happened, and they just celebrated, and you're like, wow, those people are really unified in their celebration of this sports team. Just let the team lose and see where that unity come, goes. They were loving the coach. They were loving the players. They were loving everything about everything. And, but you lose a little bit, and unity goes. Why? Because it's unified around something superficial. Uh, our unity comes at a deeper level where we believe the Spirit of God indwells every single one of us. I, I teach this a lot, so I, I won't backtrack too much. But Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, I pray that the, um, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of unity, um, I'm going to quote it right in just a minute. He says, somebody look it up, because I've lost it in my head. Have you ever got a blank in your head where you're like, uh... I want to say it right. Oh, somebody's got it on their iPhone in like two seconds. First Thessalonians 5.23. Keep going. Thank you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We see... Uh, an individual as someone who is a spirit, soul, and body. And the, the spirit of God comes into us and indwells us and it fills us and empowers us when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That means Nancy Moore has the same Holy Spirit indwelling her that I do. Marty Donegan has the same Holy Spirit indwelling him that I do. Brenda Shoup has the same Holy Spirit indwelling. Not a different spirit. And your 12-year-old child has the same Holy Spirit indwelling them. Not a junior Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit. We all have the Spirit of God. That way we can have the unity of the Spirit because we each have the Spirit of God indwelling us. It's where we can be completely and totally united is by the Spirit of God who indwells every single one of us. This spirit of unity is not some made-up thing. Where is a call to unity? Because of all of these ones and because he indwells us. At the end of Ephesians 4, he's going to come back and said, Instead, speaking the truth in love and in all things, grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as what? Hello? You said, it's your part. That's your part. The each part. When it says each part does its work, that's you. As each part does it. Part of our unity comes from each part doing its work. Now, here's my fear. I'm saying words and we're not hearing the same thing. You may say, well, that's kind of insulting. It's not insulting. It's just truth. Sometimes we don't all hear the same message. Um, my son Jared lives in North Carolina, and he and his five-year-old son drive to school every morning, and every morning at 7.42, I'm going to get a phone call, uh, which is great. I love it. I'm always by my phone because I know 7.40, 7.42, Jared and Leo are going to call me from the car because they're driving to 
to school. Leo's five. So they drive to the school. And on this one part of school, it's, it's happened for a couple of years since he's been going to this preschool, is that um, there's this lake they go by and there's this smoke that comes over the lake. So Leo has always said, I want to see the smoke on the water. I don't think he knows the song yet, but it's there. Um, I want to see the smoke on the water. And say, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm like, no, not yet. Jared will say, no, not yet. And then they see the smoke. He's very excited. Jared has never told Leo um, that the reason there's smoke on the water is because there's a power plant at the end of this lake, right? There's a power plant that creates the steam that comes out of the power plant and into the water. So uh, this past week, Leo was like, hey, I want, to go, I want to go find where this smoke is coming from. He's, he's learned that if there's smoke, there's fire kind of thing. There's a source to the smoke. And Jared's like, oh, I'm, I'm in the middle of this whole conversation. I don't know, you know, it may be hard to get to. And, and Leo goes, well, where's the smoke coming from? And then Jared says, well, Leo, actually, and he didn't want to ruin the magic of, you know, for two years he's been loving the smoke, that it's just a power plant. So he talks to him, he says, Leo, it's actually a power plant that the smoke comes from, and they may not let us get close to where it's coming from. And he's like, what's a power plant? Well, it's a place where they make electricity. It's a plant where they make electricity, and they, they and he, how do they make electricity? Well, Jared and I are quickly out of our depth of trying to explain how they make electricity. So we do it a good dad and granddad to talk to Uncle Caleb. My son Caleb works for Georgia Power. He can at least describe to a five-year-old the basic concepts of how they make power. And Leo's just going on and on. He's like a dog with a bone. He's not letting this go. How, how, does, power, how does this plant make power? And we're trying to explain something about magnets or water or, you know, I don't know. We're just going on and on trying to say, well, we're, but we're obviously not a answering his questions. And eventually he says to us, is there a big pot that the plant is in? We're using the same words, but we don't mean the same thing. And we, Jared and I, could not get to his point because he had in his head a plant. And he couldn't get to ours because he doesn't know what, anything other than a plant. Listen, God has actually called us to a level of unity that we, we un honestly can't understand and apart from the spirit of wisdom that indwells us. This, I mean, to that level of unity, we need the power of the spirit to understand this call to unity. We can't do it on our own, but we've been called to it nonetheless. And it also leads me to a, a third point, which is this. We need, to, we need to grow up. There's a call to maturity in this whole passage. It was he who... Gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to do what? Hello, you can read back to me. Prepare God's people. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Why are they here? And by the way, we still believe they are here. We can talk about how that may look in the days ahead, but we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are still available today. 
and I'll show you why in a minute. Um, but they're, they're here to prepare us for works of service. In other words, we, we screwed this up so badly that we think that the church pays the guys to do the works of service. Hello? I mean, we've got this model where we think it's the church. My job is to go to church and to drop my money in the offering when it's time so that we can fund the guys who do the works of service or girls. But no, you are all in this together. We, my job is to equip you to do the works of service. And me too. But we're all in this. That's part of our call to maturity. Immature Christians think somebody else does it. They think there's a mommy or daddy somewhere that's immature who are going to do the dishes, who are going to make the bed, who are going to provide the food. And a mature, there's something about being raised to adulthood that says, nope, that's me. Do you ever remember, do you remember when you're in your 20s or so and it's the first time you really got it? I think I'm an adult. I have to pay the bills. If I can't pay the electric bill, who's going to pay it? Who's going to do this? Who's going to go get the food? I remember my kids saying, one of them called me and said, Hey, Dad, this adulting sucks. <laughs> I said, Hey, welcome to the club. Come on in. Now we can talk about certain things. goes on and says, So that... The body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, here's my theological contention, by the way. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists are given for what? The building up of the body of Christ so that the people of God will do works of service. And how long are they going to be around? Until we all reach unity become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Has that happened yet? I would say no. Therefore, I think they're still needed. Definitions may be slightly different. We can talk about apostles, capital A versus small a. But we need gifted men and women to equip the body of Christ so that these things can still occur. We are called to a level of maturity. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to, to maturity. What are we leaving behind? The baby stuff. It's time for solid food. James 1.4 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I, I could go on all day with these mature passages. There's a lot of them. Look, Maturity and perfection are not the same thing. Don't get confused. We're not called to perfection. We're called to maturity. It says in um, Elizabeth Elliot, a great author, says, Discipline is the believer's answer to God's call. If you want to become mature, like say, Oh, God, make me mature. Help grow me up in the faith. You know, one of the things you'll get is discipline. Okay. Here's where you need correction. Here's where you need to go. I'll tell a story. I know 
but this, they, they do not, I'm going to give you a secret, Reverend Stilley and I, they did not teach us all we needed to know in seminary to do what we do. As a matter of fact, it's scary how much we don't know. Now you may say, well, you look like you know a lot. It's just smoke and mirrors. I really don't. I mean, when I started Fullness, um, I had a couple who wanted to get married about a year after we started the church. And I was like, okay, let's get married. And I'd read a lot of articles that you should do premarital counseling with couples. It's it achieve success in marriage. And I'm like, I had no idea how to do premarital counseling. I called my dad, who was a longtime pastor, and said, well, what do you do for premarital counseling? And he gave me a couple of things. And honestly, I love my dad, but it was really lame. And so I thought, there's got to be something more to, to this. And so I went and took a class on marriage and family counseling at uh, a local college, uh, Beeson down at Beeson, they had open classes, and I took a marriage and family counseling, a whole semester of it. And then we, over the years, have written our different premarital counseling. But really, it's just come through trial and error uh, of writing it. And years and years ago, people who no longer go to our church, I want to make that clear, came to me for premarital counseling. And at the time, I was doing it, um, premarital counseling with Cheryl. And we're we're counseling this couple, and we're like two, three sessions in, and after they left, I said to Cheryl, you know what? I get the odd feeling that this guy is really not into this. Like, I, I, there's just, this doesn't feel right. And she said, I, I totally agree. And I said, so next week, let's separate them, and I'm going to talk to the guy, and you talk to the girl, and We'll go from there. So we did. Next week, separated them. Now you're intrigued with this sermon, right? Uh, <laughs> next week, I separated. We separate them. I go to the guy and I said, "Hey, listen, um, I could be totally off here, but I I'm getting the the sense that maybe you're apprehensive about this marriage and maybe maybe you don't want to get married." And he goes, "Oh, pastor." I really don't. I, and I'm shocked. I mean, he was so like, I really don't want to get married. And I'm like, do you not want to get married or do you not want to get married to her? And he just said, yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And he says, I said to him, listen, you've got to tell her. You can't go on with this any longer. If you know the worst thing possible I, I always say this a lot, by the way. The worst thing, other than maybe not being married, is being married to the wrong person. It, it's a hell you can't even imagine. Um, for those who would like more on that, I'll tell you later. But I said to the guy, you gotta, you got to tell her now. And he goes, oh, pastor, will you do it? <laughs> and I'm like... Nope. <laughs> nope. I, I didn't ask her, and I'm not going to tell her. Um, I, I will go with you to tell her, because I want to make sure she hears what I just heard, because it's only fair to her. So we got up, went to the next office, told her. I, it was horrible. I mean, really, it was a horrible experience. I don't wish that on anyone. But what I'm saying is this, mature 
people do what's right, even if it's hard. Even if it's hard. It's a call to maturity on our lives. And you can't do it apart from just continually leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to do. But he has given to every single one of us grace. He's apportioned it. And you can walk in it. Walk in the grace of God every moment of every day. Because the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Back in the 70s, there was a, a gymnast, Nadia Komenich. Uh, she was the first gymnast, I think it was 1976. I can't even remember which Olympics. Montreal or one of those. But she was the first Olympic gymnast to ever get a 10 in scoring in Olympic gymnastics. She was Romanian. Um, for those of you who are as old as I am, women's gymnastics didn't seem like that big a deal. And then in the 70s when television and live broadcasts and suddenly women's gymnastics became one of the premier things. Well, this 14-year-old girl stole everything by getting a 10 in an event. And they're interviewing her afterwards and they're saying, isn't it incredible what you did? And she was just kind of like very nonchalant about it. And um, the person says to her, you just did the first perfect 10 on uh, the bars that has ever been done. And she said, you know, it's really not that big a deal. I did 14 of them last week. I think you get the point. How do you become, you do, your faith, you do it. You're faithful at it. You continue at it. You continue to walk in the Spirit. You continue to lean into the Spirit every moment of every day. How do you become mature? You move toward Jesus. You uh, correct when you make mistakes. At times you're going to have to re-clarify and see what the, the, the path is before you because we all mess up and we have to know that we have a destiny. You're moving somewhere. You're moving in a specific direction. Final point is this. There's a call to action, and it goes back to the first point, which is I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We are a people whose minds have to be ready for action. And again, this is the path of prepare your minds for what's coming. It's going to happen. It's time for action. It's try, time to get moving. He goes on, by the way, and adds a couple of things. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Just one, another action verse or two. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by what? Works or action is dead. Oswald uh, Chambers um, says this. A saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow. I love this quote. I use it like once a year. So if you're like, I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, because I use it once a year. Come back in a year, I'll use it again. It's that good. But he says, a saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. But our Lord continues to stretch and strain. And every once in a while, the saint says, I can't take it anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight, and then he lets the arrow fly. There's more to you than you can imagine. There's more to you than you can possibly think you could endure. Why? Because 
you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Does it, by the way, read the first part of the verse. Don't get lost in the fact that it's, you've been saved by grace. You were dead, but now you're alive. You've been saved by grace. But our response to that is act. Act. You can act or you can sit at home and watch Netflix for 10 hours. You know, I mean, you've got options in your life. But I think God is calling you to find places to minister the grace of God in the world around you. Mother Teresa says, with Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus. I'm like a pencil in his hand, that's all. He does the thinking, he does the writing. His pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. That's us. But when we allow ourselves to be used, that call to action, God will do great things through us. I have a whole nother sermon left, but I'm only going to give you the points and you can read them, okay? Is that, a, is that fair? Uh, because this action, you're, you're like, well, where do I act? Well, before God, you're, you're a priest. You minister to God. Now, this is one we should probably do a whole sermon on, uh, what it looks like to be a priest. But you're also called to serve the body of Christ, this passage talks about uh, the pastors and teachers and preparing God's people for, for works of service. We are called to minister within the context of the body of Christ. Listen, people, I'm going to do, I, I, I feel so strongly about this. We're going to do a whole series on it this summer. We're going to do a passion for the gifts of the Spirit um, coming up this summer. I want to preach through the gifts of the Spirit because... I believe they're that important to the body of Christ being built up. So we'll start on that in two weeks. And then the week after that, we have Ken Fish here who will demonstrate a lot of that. And so that's a weekend conference. And then I'll continue the rest of the summer trying to teach on what are the gifts of the Spirit and how do they operate. So for all of those who wanted to hear my why I speak in tongues, why you should too sermon, uh, that's a joke, but um, come back this summer and we'll, we'll do that together. You didn't laugh near as much as I thought you would. <clears throat> Been here that long, have we? We're kind of losing things. And we're called to serve the world. You, me, called to serve the world. His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. That's us. So people, we have, this is Fullness 3.0. This is our, our look back and our look ahead. We have received the fullness of power. How much, how much power are you lacking to do everything that God has called you to do? The correct answer is None. He has given you all power, more than you even know or imagine. You're, you're not lacking anything. You're, you're also not lacking in love. He, he, we, we need to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Know it in our hearts. Know it in our minds. We, we've been given the fullness of grace. You can't do this without the grace of God. Because he wants us to walk in the fullness of life in the community around us. Lord, I pray this morning that we as the body of Christ known as fullness, that God, we would be everything that you've called us to be. 
that we would serve you as a royal priesthood. We would serve each other, ministering the gifts of grace to the world around us. And Lord, we would also serve the world by displaying your glory to the world. Lord, may we, may we live the life you've called us. May we walk in unity together. May we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And may we act every moment of every day in every way as you would desire. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.